Now, last week, we were in Proverbs chapter 26, and we saw a verse that really talks about the greatness of God. And, uh, you know, when it comes to God and God's greatness, there are three uh, important aspects of God that uh, uh, every Christian ought to know and understand. And the first one is that, that God is omnipotent, and that means that God is all-powerful. The second one is that God is omnipresent. That means he's everywhere at once. And the third one is that he's omniscient. That means that he's all-knowing. And we looked at that aspect of how God is such a great God and, and yet um, understanding how that he brought you and me into his plan. He could have done it any way that he wanted to do it, but he chose to do it by bringing us in. And we talked about how that Second uh, Timothy chapter 2, verse 19 uh, through 21 talked about uh, the vessels of honor. And we saw how that God uh, wants us to be a help meet, just like Eve was to Adam. Eve's a type of the church. Adam, we saw last week, is a type of Christ. Not a help mate, as animals have, but a help meet. Because our job uh, is to help meet the need that God wants us to do, which is putting out the gospel. And then we saw also, unfortunately, there is vessels of dishonor. And that's really been the, the concept of chapter 26, really all the way through the book of Proverbs. And we saw based on 1 Corinthians chapter 3 last week and uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and then again in the book of Romans, we saw God will, is going to get the honor and glory out of, out of both. The end game is that God is going to always get the honor and glory of everything. We get to choose, which it is. We get to choose to give ourselves to God as a, as a vessel of honor, or we get to, and God will take the honor and glory through what we do for him, or we get to choose to be a vessel of dishonor, do our own thing, and in the end of the day, God will get the honor and glory out of, out of that too in dealing with us. We looked at two great verses. Romans 14, 12, Philippians 2, 8 through 11, both basically say the same thing, that every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Two different verses. Romans 14 is for Christians and Philippians chapter 2 is for the one saved world, vessels of honor and vessels of dishonor. And then we looked at Romans chapter 9 itself. And, you know, I've said it many, many times, what a great book the book of Romans is. And some place in your journey in life of building your relationship with God and learning the Bible, you're going to have to get down the book of Romans. The book of Romans is fundamentally probably the key book in the New Testament for everything that we believe. And it's, it's absolutely paramount at some point that <clears throat> you get that book down. We have it online that we've broken it down chapter by chapter. I've done it many, many times for you. And I know many of you have followed that and have got a good handle on it. But if we looked at Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11, what three great chapters they are. Romans chapter 9 tells us how the Jews got messed up, how they got to uh, the problems they got into, and why God ultimately forsook them then. They stumbled at the stumbling stone, which was Christ. And, and so we know what happened. They go into the captivity and to this day are outside, you know, as far as God's fellowship. And, 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 and then we saw chapter 10 that once God was temporarily finished with the Jew, then he moved to the Gentiles, and that's the great salvation chapter in Romans. 
When I win somebody to Christ, as you do, we always call it the Romans Road. We started in Romans 3, talk about how all have sinned and come short of glory of God. There's none that doeth good, no, not one. Jump over to Romans 6. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And jump into Romans chapter 9, uh, 10, verses 9 and 10. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in thine heart that God hath raised thee from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Romans 10, 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, shall be saved. That's the Romans road, right there. When the Jews rejected, then God brought in the Gentile church, us. But then we have Romans chapter 11, which shows us this great concept that the Jews did get messed up and became vessels of dishonor, and God did bring in the church age, but Romans chapter 11 is that great chapter on the restoration of the nation of Israel. There he explains what God is going to do and how he's going to bring uh, the nation of Israel back to him. And all through this, <clears throat> what we saw last week was God using the Gentile nations in, in the Old Testament and how he'll use them in the tribulation period and even in the millennium to bring honor and glory, not only to God's nation, the nation of Israel, but to God himself. Three key chapters on God dealing with his people and how they started out as a vessel of honor and God's plan <clears throat> but they wound up as a vessel of dishonor. You know what? The great study in there is for you and for me because I've seen many of God's people in my lifetime that started out being a vessel for honor for God but wound up being a vessel for dishonor. And it's a great, <clears throat> great spiritual application to us. A wise man and a foolish man, <clears throat> and they both get their reward. One fit for the master's use to be God's helpmeet. The other one, the Bible says, fitted for destruction. And we get to choose not one of these things that you don't have a choice in. It isn't that God looked down and chose you to be a vessel of dishonor or you'd be a vessel of honor. Uh-uh. God chose all of us in Christ Jesus to be a vessel of honor. We choose to step outside that and become the vessel of dishonor. And, uh, you know, and times like last week, for me anyhow, and I'm sure for many of you, it helps put everything into perspective. And that's really what the Bible's all about, Christianity's all about, and really what we try to do. We try to take everything that God does, the Bible he's given us, your life, your family, your kids, your marriage, and simply try to put everything into perspective. And today you'll see it again as we move on through chapter 26. Now, let me just talk to you for a moment here. Now, today I want to look at two more <clears throat> verses and, and put them into our study of a fool <clears throat> that we've been looking at. And today will be, remember I told you there was 11 direct references to a, a fool in chapter 26. We're going to look at 10 and 11 today. And, uh, you know, uh, and we talked, uh, talked through that to stay away from the fool's uh, vessels of dishonor. 2 Timothy 2.21 says to purge ourselves from these things. So I want to begin reading Proverbs chapter 26, verses 11 and 12, and then we'll, we'll start to come through it here. Here's what he says. As a dog returneth to his vomit, so a fool returneth to his folly. Seest thou a man wise in his own conceit, there is more hope of a fool than him. Now, Father, we thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus, and we love you. We thank you for all you do for us, and thank you for... Uh, loving us for the word of God that you've given us. And Lord, we thank you for the plainness of your word. Uh, Lord, that we don't have to worry about the Greek or the Hebrew or getting some ecstatic language that nobody understands or reads anymore. That it's right down where we can grab it. It's clear. It's plain. It doesn't leave anything to the imagination. 
And we thank you for that because we're a needy people today. We don't need we don't need to sit around and figure out what you're trying to say. We need to just sit down and read it and know what you're saying to us. Help us today, Father, in all that we do. And we'll give you the honor and the glory in Jesus' name. For our sake we ask it. Amen. Now let me just say before we get started, this message is rated MA for mature audiences. I'm going to tell you, this message is going to be a little rough for some of the brethren. Maybe not so much here in the church, and uh, uh, because you guys are pretty solid on things. But if I, I would think twice about preaching a message like this in in a, in a mega church someplace, uh, it's just uh, too graphic for for most people. And uh, I, I we're going to have to do uh, today, you know. And I've I've actually known pastors when they taught Proverbs when they got to this thing they just skipped over it. They knew the people were so stupid that they would just think that that they missed it or something. You know, they don't listen anyhow. You guys would never do that. If I'd try to do that Thursday night, somebody say, "Hey, why didn't you do the other two verses?" I know what would happen. <laughs> see. But we're going to have to talk about some unpleasant human behavior today. I know, I know. And I'm sorry about that to a point, but I'm not because the book is the book. And I think as Matt, as graphic as some of this is, you would think less of me if I tried to hide it or sugarcoat it. I mean, I, I just not me. I mean, honestly, if I had my rethers, I wished he'd have used the word regurgitate. <laughs> Disgorge would have been a great one. But it's the word vomit. And that's not a pleasant word. Uh, you know, uh, when you sit around a campfire at camp or you're on a retreat someplace and somebody gives you a favorite Bible word, it isn't vomit. <laughs> and in our text, it even gets worse. And I'm kind of sorry about this because he's talking about not just vomit, but a man that is eating his own vomit. And if that wasn't bad enough, he keeps going back and eating his own vomit. I, I can see it already. Some of you getting green around the gills. And this is a great illustration. It's a graphic illustration. But you know, I've learned the graphic things in the Bible are usually the great things in the Bible for us to learn from. And uh, we're, we're going to do that today. Now, let me start by saying this. In the Bible... A man uh, or a woman are, are likened to two of the most filthy animals on earth. And in the Bible, an unshaved woman is likened to a pig. And that's not very flattering. I'm sorry. The Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 22, that when you take a pig, that, talking about a woman, she gets washed. Now, she doesn't get saved. That's not that kind of washing. She just goes get a shower, gets cleaned up gets washed, and then the Bible says that she goes right back to the wallow. She enjoys the filth. She has no conscience about it, just like a pig. You can take a pig in and scrub him up, put a bow in his hair, put him out in the yard, he'll head right back to the slop. That's what pigs do. Adding to that, in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 22, it says, a jewel of gold in a swine's snout, so is a fair woman which is without discretion. Now, discretion means that she has no Bible truth. She has no understanding. And, uh, you know, she has no perspective. And, uh, and, and we know, and, and, you know, when I read verses like that, I, it, it helps me because I always like to know why everything is. 
There's a lot of things in the Bible. I don't know why there is or why they are. Excuse me. I don't know why they are. But I like to know why they are. I mean, you women don't understand. And, and, and what I'm about to say, please, allow, allow me to say this. It's okay. I didn't walk up and down here looking for targets today. I don't care. I love everybody. But I, I like to know why things are there. Because whether you know it or not, there's a reason behind in the Bible why we do everything we do. Amen. Now, I, don't, I think a woman who wears lipstick, I think that's a good deal. You know, it's a, it keeps your brain alive deciding out of nine million different colors and shades which one you want to pick. That's good. But I know in the Bible why a woman wears lipstick. It's in the Bible. No, I mean, it just is. I'm sorry. I mean, it is. I think, I think I've watched you ladies, most, most of you don't dress up to come to church. You know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm saying. We, we're casual here, but when we have a, well you, I, I watch it. You girls go to prom, you don't wear your sneakers. You go to a wedding and you're in a wedding party. Well, that shouldn't be true. I've had many weddings where the people wore sneakers in it. But anyway, but you wear high heels. And I think high heels are neat. I think they look good. I think they call them pumps. Is that right? <laughs> If I get out of line here, just tell me. I'm trying to stay with it. But I think it looks great. I, 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 hey, high heels. I'm, I, I don't know how you... I've seen women working, place at the mall that work all day. I, I don't know how... It's got to hurt your feet. Well, I mean, anytime you get your feet up at an angle like that, I mean, I try walking on your toe, man. I get cramps in my calves, of course. But anyway, forget that. I know why women wear high heels. It's in the Bible. It's okay. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. I'm just saying I'd like to know why things are the way they are. What's wrong with that? Women wear makeup. And I'm I'm good with that. I'm like old Bob Jones Sr. If the barn door needs painting, you paint that sucker. (laughs) But I know why women use makeup. I do. And I like to know where things started. And the idea of a woman putting a diamond or a jewel or gold something in her nose? I don't care. I mean, I, 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 it's, I'm, not, I'm not fighting it. It's, I, but I'm saying, please, I, no, I don't, I, 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 I'm careful here because I don't want to offend anybody. And I'm not criticizing anybody. And a lot of, but the verse is what the verse is. And a lot of God's women do that. They, they you know, they put those little, things in their nose and you know i don't care but you need to understand that adding or deforming yourself because it gets really bad sometimes you know it's it's where was this a start it's a pagan thing i'm not saying you shouldn't do it i'm not please don't don't i'm if if you got it's okay now i know everything has to be in moderation i get that and I've never understood some of the some of the weird stuff that goes on. Now, piercing your ears—that's okay. It's all right. I mean, uh, it, 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 I, I'm, not, I'm not fighting any of it. We had a guy here. It went a while back. He was in the NFL. <clears throat> he wasn't a football player. It was not for long. <laughs> <clears throat>
he had his earlobes that hung down to there. I mean, them suckers, you could put silver dollars in them. And, and, I, and I, I, you know, I, <clears throat> I mean, I've been to Africa. I watched the, the Mossad. I watched the, the you know, the, uh, all those tribes. They, they, they do it. And I, I mean, stretching out your earlobe to the point, and then you put some kind of ornaments in them. <clears throat> I, I look at that, and I, I'm, 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 I'm on. I ask myself, why? As a Christian, <clears throat> how does that help me be a witness for Christ? Unless you're going to Africa as a missionary, how does that enhance us, me, you? Does it make you better? I've seen guys, <clears throat> I've seen guys and girls, but guys wear these big nose rings. I got to say, if I ever get in a fight, with, I hope he's got a nose ring because that's what I'm going for. <laughs> or his earlobes. I'll take those suckers and you think they're stretched now. You wait till I get done with them. <laughs> I, 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 you know, and then <clears throat> I see this all the time. These little silver rivets you put through your tongue. Oh now, what is that? Now, that has got to hurt. <clears throat> I want to see the little wrench kit that comes with it to put that sucker in and ratchet that in there. That's got to hurt. I mean, if I was going to have one, I, you know, Mr. Practicality here, <clears throat> if I was going to have one, I'm going to have one that lights up, and when I can't find my car key, I, and the light comes on, and I can get what I need. That's got to hurt, man. Now, <clears throat> I went to Subway last week. I like to eat at Subway. It's got some good stuff there. And I'm in line, okay? <clears throat> and there's this girl in front of me. She's probably in her early 20s. And, and she's in front of me, and she's ordering, and I'm not paying any attention. And then <clears throat> she's got her boyfriend with her. And all of a sudden, she turns around to look for something. And I, I, I ain't kidding you. She had... In each eyebrow, four or five of those piercing things. In each one. She had two in each of her noses. And she had one, two, you know, I said, wholesale, ma'am. <laughs> she had four or five across her lips. She had ears. And I'm saying, no, <clears throat> please. And this is not, a, I'm, please, bear with me. I'm not being critical or cruel here. She wasn't the prettiest girl on the planet to begin with. In fact, she looked like she fell out of the top of the ugly tree and hit every branch coming down, okay? (laughs) And I'm saying to myself, I'm asking myself, why? Does that really make you look more attractive? I go to the workout place. There's women there with... I got to make sure. Purple hair. Purple I mean, it's purple. <clears throat> I saw one gal there one time, her hair was so reddy orange. I thought <clears throat> I, she looked like a, a ball of steel wool I left out in the rain and it rusted. <laughs> Why? I mean, <clears throat> I, I'm, I'm just asking, I, I ask myself, Why? 
Why, what, why would I want to do that? Does I think that endears me to, to Christianity? Does that make me closer to God? I had a guy said one time, and, you know, and then, you know, there was a deal a while back. I don't know. I, I hear these things, and I forget about it. But guys in the earrings, there was a time years ago, and you guys could probably fill me on this, where gay guys displayed they were being gay by, by which ear they put the earring in. And if I remember right, it was the little phrase, right was wrong. Because if you put it in your right ear, you were gay. And, I, and, and then so, I, I, first thing I was doing for a while was somebody introduced. <laughs> and then I got really confused because sometimes they were putting them in both ears. I guess they're bisexual. I don't know how that works. <clears throat> but, but I asked myself, why? Now, uh, the Bible's the Bible, okay? I told you. This was, I told you. I told you before we started. I told you in Thursday night Bible study, this was a good morning to get sick. Because you are going to be sick by the time you leave. And I, I never understood it. I mean, this girl turned around, and I mean, I... I I, I couldn't imagine trying to kiss this girl. And if her boyfriend would have had the same thing in, it had given a whole new meaning to locking lips. <laughs> you got tangled up forever in that mess. <laughs> and I asked myself, why do people have to do that? God made you the way he wanted you. He could have put those rivets in your mouth. He could have created you with the extended earlobes. You know why people do that? Honestly. And I know it's funny. It is funny. But, you know, and I'll tell you, I had, a, I had a, one of those guys one time I was witnessing to, and I was telling him about the Lord and the Bible and all the things. And he says to me, he says, man, he says, you sure are peculiar and weird. I said, really? <laughs> look in the mirror, guy. You look like a, a cast out from the Wizard of Oz. And I'm, I'm peculiar, but you know what? He was right because Israel was to be a peculiar people. And as a Christian, you're either going to be, you're going to, here it comes. You knew it was coming, didn't you? As a Christian, you're either going to be peculiar for God or you're going to look peculiar for the world. And you can't mix and match the two. You just can't. Now, I, I'm not fighting anybody. I don't care. I mean, I would never, if I saw somebody, I'd love on them. I'd be nice to them. I'd be kind to them. I, I'm just preaching what the Bible says here. I mean, it's just that simple. I mean, you take a pig, any pig. You dress that pig in a $1,000 gown and put a gold jewel in its nose. And at the end of the day, you just got a gold-studded pig. Nothing has changed. But we, because the world leaves us so incomplete, and the world doesn't satisfy what we need. We think we got to embellish ourselves to the place that we do something to us because we're so incomplete on the inside. We actually think that becoming peculiar like the world is going to give us that completeness. I got some news for you. Forget the world and just be peculiar for the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, don't get mad at me. I'm trying to help here. I mean, you say, well, I like ornaments. I don't, I, oh, what's your big deal? Hey, I like ornaments too. If you really want to put an ornament on, how about 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 4? It says, the hidden man of the heart of that which is not corruptible, even the ornament. 
ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which in the sight of God is a great price. There's one for you. Try that one not screwing in your nose. <laughs> now, we're in Proverbs chapter 26. And where a woman is likened to a pig, a man is likened to a dog. A dog who, again, is one of the most filthy animals on the planet. Uh, he eats his own vomit here. And he keeps returning to it time after time. That's a great illustration. It may not, it may be graphic and it may, for the weak stomach person, it, but I'm going to tell you, it is a great principle. And most people get, they, they, they like, the, they like the, the, the flowery stuff of the Bible, but when the Bible gets down to the nitty gritty of what life is really about, then they have a problem with it. And the Bible says that unsaved man is likened to a dog. Now, in the Old Testament, that you find them, the Gentiles are called dogs. I've been asked this <clears throat> through Bible study over the years many times. Bible says back there in 1 Samuel chapter 25, verse 22, and other places like 1 Kings 14, 10, it talks about he that pisses against the wall. And people read that and they say, oh, that's a bad word. Oh, really? You know, the Bible just lays it out where it is. And it says, he that pisses against the wall. You know who does that? A dog does that. And when he's using that reference, he's talking about the way God viewed Gentiles in the Old Testament, like a dog. They're always going up against the wall. Gives whole new meaning to the wailing wall, <laughs> you know. That's why those Jews are going, they're going to get close to it, but they can't. <clears throat> And a dog. Though, I agree, man, best friend. You ain't kidding me, man. Amen. Yeah, I'm with you, son. I get it. Uh, it it's a thing where it, 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 I'm a dog guy, okay? I just had to put my male lab down last, not this Friday, the Friday before. Seven years old. Hardest day of my life. I mean, he was, his name was Buddy, and he was my buddy. It's t- don't tell me. Every time I have to put one down, I tell myself I'm never getting another one. And then six weeks later, I get another one. And it's, I still got three left, so I'm working on those for a while. But I'm telling you, don't tell me about dogs. One time, Phil Harrington, who was the chaplain of Bourbon Street, this is back in the 60s, in the late 60s and the 70s, he was debating the famous, uh, the famous uh, atheist, uh, Madeline, Madeline Murray O'Hare. And they were going out of the debate. It was on the Phil Donahue show. And, and she was making fun of God and making fun of him being a preacher. And he, he was as fast on his feet as anybody I ever met. And he said, Madeline, he says, why do I do what I do? He says, God. You can't spell go without G-O, God. You can't spell the gospel without go. Why do I go? And she says, oh, oh. She says, yes, 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 yes. She says, you know what? You take God and spell it backwards and you got dog. What's your point? He said, without missing a beat. He says, you know what? Any way you spell him, he's still man's best friend. <laughs> Don't tell me about dogs. Old Bob Jones Sr. used to have a message and I preach a massive version of it. I haven't preached it here, but he, he preaches that out of that same passage is some dogs that I've known. And he actually lines up people that he meets in the ministry to dogs. And boy, I'll tell you, I heard that lesson years ago and I thought, wow, that's incredible. He talks about some Christians are like German shepherds. They're stalwarts. 
strong, steely-eyed, looking at everything. He says, those are the kind you want to have in your church. He said, you got some men, some Christians are like little chihuahuas. All the time. That's a great message. And a dog, though, man's best friend. And we've all had them. I mean, let's face it. They are one of the most filthiest animals on the planet. And I know this is really gross, but you know what? There's a great lesson here. Now, there's three things that dogs do that we got to talk about here, and then we're going to make the parallel. Yeah, oh, yeah, you want to get these notes down. Absolutely. (laughs) The first thing is that they, in our verse here, they eat their own vomit. And I'm, I'm I'm even... intending to change that when I'm talking about it now, but I can't because that's the Bible word. I've had dogs that have done that. You've had dogs that have done that. It's the grossest thing on the planet. I mean, I learned, you know, like everything else. I go up and say to Barb, well, Buddy threw up or Daisy threw up downstairs, and she said, did you clean it cleaned up? And I said, no, I just waited. He took care of it. <laughs> I mean, the Bible is the Bible. Second gross thing they do, they eat their own stool. I had a dog one time that I, I didn't have to buy any food. It, it was incredible. Oh, it was terrible. Terrible. I went to the vet and I asked the vet, I says, what do I do? He says, this may help you. He said, they do that because they have a vitamin deficiency in them and they do that. Oh, you have a dog that way too. You're shaking your head. Okay. Okay. Then thank you. And, 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 and I said, well, what do I do? And he says, here's what I do. He says, go to the store and get some really ground hot pepper. I mean, the hottest pepper you can find. And just go out in the yard and sprinkle it all over it and then just let him go. So I did that. He liked it better with a pepper on it <laughs> without the pepper. That didn't work. Dogs are the grossest thing you've ever seen in your life. And we're going to make some great parallels to you and me here in just a moment. And the third thing that they do, hey, I'm, I, I told you, oh, here it is. They always lick themselves. Well, that's the grossest thing you ever saw in your life. And I, I, Yeah, I agree. I, I'm with you. When I was a little kid growing up, I've never forgot this. This is the funniest thing that ever happened to me. When I was a little kid growing up, I was about, uh, oh, 10 or 12, maybe 14, I don't know. And my grandma, my mom and dad worked during the day, and the school that I went to was here. Right up around the corner on the next block, my grandma and grandpa lived. And so we'd get out for lunch. You know, kids don't get out for lunch. I went to school when you had an hour lunch and you went home to eat. Remember those days? Not. (laughs) So anyway, I would go to my grandma's and my grandpa. I'm going to tell you right now. My grandma was the worst cook on the planet. She was terrible. I, 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 love my, I love my grandma too, but my grandpa, he was the typical old grandpa. When I'd go in there, the table would be set. He'd always put two quarters underneath the plate for me to go to the store on the way back. He hit him because grandma would have a fit. She, she was something else. Nobody liked her. <laughs> And so, you know, I would, and I'd say, thank you, Grandpa. So she would make me lunch. 
she would t- make me hot dogs. Now, I love hot dogs. You can't get me a better meal. If I got a between Ruth Crisp or, or, or Shalani hot dog, I'm taking a hot dog. She butchered, she boiled them. Yeah. You cannot go to heaven if you boil hot dogs. <laughs> they were the most terrible things in the world. They blowed up, they split, and she'd put them on my plate, and I'm thinking, and they taste terrible. Nothing better than a fire grilled hot dog, man. Yeah, you boil them. And so she put them on my plate, and my grandpa was sitting there. He was eating whatever he was eating, and she went on upstairs, and I'm kind of working at it. And, you know, and he says, pretty bad, isn't it, buddy? And I said, yeah, it is, Grandpa. He says, here's what I do. Called a dog over. Dog ate him off his plate. He says, go ahead, it's okay. I said, he said, I put you some money and get you something on the way back to the store. That's okay. So dog ate that stuff up. And so... This is the, absolutely the truest story I've ever told you. So my, my grandma comes down the steps. The dog is going over in the corner, and he starts licking himself, okay? Coming, going nuts. My, my grandma comes down. This is my grandma. This is my grandma. What's that dumb dog doing over there in the corner? Do you see a grandma talking like that? What's that? She used another word in there. Uh, what's that dog doing over there in the corner licking himself? My grandpa looks up and says, I don't know. I think he's trying to get a bad taste out of his mouth. (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) That's a true story. Dogs are filthy. And we love them. And, you know, hey, and we're all guilty of it. They'll go throw up and eat it, and then they want to come kiss you. And you know, the real test of you're a dog lover, do you let them? Well, yeah, I do. <laughs> now, it says in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 22, and, and here's the New Testament principle on this, if we want to lay it all out. It says, but it has happened unto them, according to the true proverb, the dog is turned to his own vomit again. And the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. Now, I want you to know, first of all, if you don't have this note along this verse, you want to put this in here. Uh, the context here in Second Peter chapter 2, first of all, will be false prophets and men saved or lost who will corrupt uh, the word of God by teaching uh, bad doctrine or teaching false uh, things in the Bible. We're told, and remember now, uh, we, he's warning the church in Philippia, uh, Philippi about these things. And he says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 2, he tells them to beware of dogs. Now, he's not saying if you go door knocking, beware of the dog in the yard. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the kind of dogs that he's talking about here. He says, also, be aware of evil workers. And then he says, be aware of, of the concision. Now, the concision is a word... Uh, for circumcision. And what he's saying here is that there are people out here who are fit into the category of 2 Peter 2.22 who are a dog teaching false doctrine who are telling you that as a New Testament Christian you have to be circumcised under the law. That's what he's saying. False teachers, false doctrine, false teaching. And Bible says it's like a pile of vomit. Now this proverb is true in any unsaved man, uh, but in particular, and we'll look at that in a moment, in religious Bible teachers 
who will pervert the true word of God, whether they're saved or whether they're lost. Now, there are a number of good principles here once we get past the slime pit of, of talking about vomit. Number one, a man or woman who will always be regurgitating the vomit in their false teaching will be somebody who has never learned the lessons of history. Uh, they'll, they'll never see the real truth that God has clearly established historically that you can follow through history that clearly leads you to the right place that you need to be if you want to learn your Bible. Instead, they're always getting caught up in the, in the unestablished truth that man has come up with to discredit God and get around the truth of the Word of God. And verse 12 says that they, they become wise in their own conceits. Now, there's nothing funnier to me than some little Ph.D. pipsqueak try, uh, taking out his little microscope or a little magnifying glass and making a, a so-called living off of finding out where God made his mistakes with the Bible and then correcting him. After last week, the great God who is all-knowing, omnipresent, and uh, all-powerful. You kidding me? And you, with your little studies and your education, you are going to undo all that God did down through history with his book and his people just because you want to play in the big leagues. You're a little boy with your little toys, and you want to protract yourself as somebody who really is knowledgeable. And every, you know, the Bible says in 2 Timothy 3, 7 that they're ever learning but never able to come to the truth. And I'm going to tell you something. Rule number one for you and for me. Beware of anybody who just takes a philosophical approach to the Bible, who that when you're done talking with them or they're done teaching you, cannot give you some definite answers. All this stuff about, well, yeah, it could be this. What do you think or what do you think or this thing or that thing? Let me tell you something. Who cares what you think? Who cares what I think? What sayeth the Scriptures? And you get somebody that can't give you a definitive Bible doctrinal answer on the issues that you're looking for in life, stay away from them dogs. And you know, you see it in history. The history of the world is like a sick dog. Christianity, the Laodicean church period, is the same thing. It's a sick church. He said in Revelation chapter 3, verse 17, he says that you're poor, you're wretched, you're miserable, uh, you're blind, and, and, and you're naked. You're poor spiritually. You're blind. You can't see anything in the Bible. You're wretched. You're sick. You're throwing up. You're miserable. You're unfulfilled. And you're naked. That's the judgment seat of Christ. And all they do is vomit over and over and over again all of this filth. And you see it in government. Government never learns the lessons of history. We are paying the price in America right now and have been for the last 30, 40 years because we never learned the lessons in history. We never do. We never learn the lessons because it's never really about you. It's about how do I stay in power? You see it in nations. You see it with Bible teachers. You see it with pastors. You see it with churches. You see it with, you know, with Bible colleges. And you certainly see it with Christians. They never learn from history. There's a teaching out there right now that, that I, and I taught a lot of boys the Bible over the years. And I, let me tell you something. I, I, I've taught many, many kids, young guys, uh, the Bible and taught them the right way. And, you know, today you find a lot of these guys 
or buying into this new pile of vomit that has come out of the neo-evangelical world, a teaching that the text of the King James Bible came from is not reliable and it's connected like all the other corrupt Greek texts. And all of these guys, not all of them, but a lot of these guys are buying into it. They're buying into it. And they're buying into it because they're wise in their own conceit. They all want the notoriety of a big mega church. So they're going to go with the flow. Whatever the mega monster out there, whatever he's regurgitating up today is what they're going to chow down on. I mean, they, they, they don't even have a clue. When West Cotton Hort in the latter part of the 1800s, when they did their 20-year work to destroy the King James Bible and ruin the text by taking the city out of Nevada Canis, and, and it was very clear to everybody back there the difference between the two. That's why they never messed with ours. They went and got the Roman Catholic one because ours was, you couldn't do it with ours. They wouldn't let you do it. Well, they come out with that, and of course, we know from their work came the New Greek New Testament, which now the first translation came from, all the other translations have come from. And during that same time with West Cotton Hort, there was a guy by the name of Dean Bergen. Dean Bergen lived in about the 1880s, and he was an unparalleled scholar when it came to Greek and the text and everything. He did the work that was so devastating to West Cotton Hort's theory and their work that it was unrefutable. Even to this day, some over 120, 30, 40 years ago since he died, you have what is known as the Dean Bergen Society, men who are members of it who hold the line. He destroyed West Cotton Hort, the very guys that these wannabes are going back to. I think in the 1880s, there was a guy by the name of Sir Robert Anderson. and He was a master of, of dispensationalism. And that's another thing that everybody questions today, you know, uh, as we get farther away from the Word of God. And he, 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 he did a number of works. The six that were my favorite was the first one he wrote was called The Coming Prince. There has never been another book in the history of the world that laid out the Antichrist out of the book of Daniel like he did in, in The Coming Prince. Then he wrote one called Forgotten Truths. And boy, is that prevalent for today. Then he wrote one called The Gospel and the Ministry. Then he wrote one called The Lord from Heaven. Incredible on the rapture and the second coming from Christ, which everybody's discounting today. He wrote a book on the silence of God that deals with the 400 years between the Testaments. Incredible book. And then he wrote a book on the types in, the types in Hebrew, the book of Hebrews. Incredible. Incredible. We got guys like Sir Robert Dick Wilson, 1900. He was the professor of Semitic languages at Princeton Theological Seminary. He taught Old Testament and, and, and was, his, was his primary deal. He spoke 45 different languages. He was completely versed in Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic. He knew every language and understood every language the Bible was written in up till 1600. His work has been unrefuted, clearly laying out as the Bible does that you have three families of manuscripts. Nobody could ever argue with him Nobody could ever even touch what he did. And my question to all you young wannabes, have you ever read these works? I guarantee you, you haven't. You know why? Because they got the vomit dripping out of the sides of your mouth of where you've been eating. You have a David Gregory. Talk about dispensationalism, the rapture of the church. 
He was the math professor at Oxford in 1710. He laid out the approximate date of Christ's coming based on the book of Daniel and the dispensations. His work ran over 650,000 words and has never one time been rejected. How about George Wilson, 1887? His work on dispensationalism ran 10... Uh, 1,055 pages, over 700,000 words, and over never in 150 years has it ever even been challenged, let alone somebody refuted it. All these guys laid the foundation for Clarence Larkin's works in there. You see, you're worse than a fool. You're wise in your own conceit, and have rejected those before you who knew way more about it than you do, but you bought into the pile of vomit that these guys are putting out today, and you like it, and you keep going back to it. These men that I just mentioned followed a long line of established truth out of the Bible that God has given us that lays all the way back. And then the second thing, Establishing truth with an established book. And you have the second great aspect to the fool that is wise in his own conceits and keeping, you know, um, everything uh, as the world has it and, and, and just destroying everything with, a, with the vomit that he puts out. Uh, they, they defy and question everything that God does. And the second thing is that nobody can teach them anything. They're unteachable. They think they know it all. You've never built anything for God. You never invested in your life in any ministry that God is doing through a New Testament local church. You'll never make yourself accountable to what you teach to, to, to other people through a New Testament church. You're always out there flapping on your own, doing your own thing. You never paid any price to get out of that, uh, to get, uh, to put out that book. You're always playing it safe and you just glean from everybody else that you can and then turn around and criticize them to make yourself look good. And these guys couldn't lay out the established truth that their life depended on it. It's just the way it is. And according to Proverbs 26, 12, you're worse than a fool because your, your wisdom lieth in your own conceit. And I'll tell you something about conceit. Conceit is the anesthesia that dulls the pain of our stupidity. Shedding in judgment of that book or the men who God clearly used to bring it down to history to us. And that's the context of how we find it. Fake and false wannabe Bible teachers who forsake the established truth, never able to come to the truth because they're always setting themselves above as the final authority. Now, here's the second aspect to this. Get away from the religious crowd. Here's the practical application for you and me and just men and women that we work with. Why men and women just keep coming back to their sin over and over again? You know, what the thing the Bible will do for you, what the Bible will do for you is it'll, it, one of the things, it'll do many things for you, but one of the great things the Bible do, it was, will break that cycle of sin in your life. We had a great time with the brother this morning, got his breathalyzer taken out of his car. You know what God's done for you, son? He's broken that chain out of your life. And I commend you for that. Everybody here, you know how rotten some of you were before you got saved? Now, you know what God's done with all of us? 
because you got in the book, because you were just dumb enough to believe what God wrote you and put yourself where God wanted you to be. You know what, God? God has set you free from it. And the vomit eaters will be a man or a woman who never learned the lessons from history, but they'll never learn the lessons from their own mistakes. So they'll constantly repeat them, and they're always going back to the same old problem. Now, I know this isn't easy this morning. I get that. But you know what? The Bible's plain truth laid out in a plain way. And God is driving home a point here. I've tried to lighten it up a little bit and give you a a little laughter to make things a little more tolerable for you. But at the end of the day, it's the plain truth of God. And this explains why a drunk keeps returning to his battle. He keeps returning to the booze that he drinks. He keeps, you know, and and what we do in society, there was a time when we called him a booze head or a drunkard. Now we make a professional name for it, a chronic alcoholic. Sounds great. Almost want to be one. And now we understand why he keeps returning to it. Try to deal with somebody at some point who's involved in that, who's got themselves locked into that. Try to, try, to, try to get them just to quit drinking on their own or just to walk away from it. It's impossible. And they'll keep going to that bottle just like a dog keeps going back to his vomit. How about the, how about the, how about the dope heads? The, the marijuana smokers, the heroin, the crack addicts. We, 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 we can't call them those things anymore. Back in the 30s, Gene Krupa was a drummer. And Gene Krumer was a good drummer. And he got hung up on marijuana. And when he got hung up on marijuana, he got busted for it. And they played a lot of colleges, a lot of sororities, and a lot of dances. And he tried to make a comeback, and he tried to play with a couple of bands in the colleges. And because he had the reputation of being a marijuana smoker, they booed him, they laughed at him, and they ridiculed him back in the day. Now they'd all be doing the same thing. But they keep going back to it. They keep returning to it. Because they can't break that chain. There's something that holds them there. I mean, the seducer of women returns to his conquest. The gambler goes back to the casino. The child abuser uh, returns to his abusing children. The man with an abuse of anger nature issues keeps on abusing his wife. And the fool returns to his folly. And the young man or young lady who continually makes bad choices just keeps on making them. Or as the you know point being made, the dog will return to his vomit over and over and over again unless something breaks that cycle. And that has to be the word of God. It has to be God changing your life to the point that you want to be peculiar for God, not for the world. And you know what? You go out there someplace and you see somebody that looks like a, you know, painted up for Folksbury season possum hunting and, and, you, and we all laugh. But at the same time, we see somebody that's a Bible believer, loves the book and stands for the word of God and the world will laugh at you. You know what the question is? Which one do you want to be laughed at? You want to look like a freak for the world and let everybody laugh at you or you want to look like a peculiar person for Christ and let them laugh at you that way? Some things you don't have to pray about.
Now, there's no greater example of this in the Bible than that illustrates this absolutely incredibly well than the life of Samson. And Samson is found first time back in Judges chapter 13 and comes all the way up to chapter 17. And yet, you know, not one time in his life did he ever follow or apply uh, God's, God's plan in his life. It never did. Yet Samson, if you go over there in Hebrews chapter 11, he's a picture of an unsaved man. He's found in God's hall of fame. Are you kidding me? Here's a guy that all of his life disobeyed everything that God told him to do. And yet he wound up in God's hall of fame. He's such a, he's such a, he, he's such a graphic picture of you and me, it's scary. And you know what his problem was? Hey, he wasn't a bad guy. Samson was, you know, we had, well, we got Samsons around today. They're good guys. He wasn't out there taking a 9mm AK-47 and shooting down a neighborhood. He, he's just a good old boy. He's hanging out doing what everybody does. You know what his problem was? His problem wasn't the fact that he, that he uh, you know, that he was out there uh, doing terrible things and hurting people. His problem was that he was weak. And in his weakness, he could not make the right choices. I've seen so many young men and young ladies like that in my lifetime. They're nice kids. They're nice people. But you know what the problem is? They can't make the right choices. They're weak. They'll get into a crowd of people, and whoever leads is what they follow. I've seen people like that all of my life. I mean, he's a man with a mission for God. God had him from birth. God said, I'm going to make him a Nazarite because I've got something special I want him to do. And he says, as a Nazarite in the Old Testament, there was three things that a man could not come close to or touch. He couldn't come up against a vine tree. He couldn't touch a dead body. And he couldn't cut his hair. Now, all three of those, if you want to put those in a practical application, he's a perfect picture of you because God has a mission for you to do. And for you to fulfill that mission, I'm going to tell you something. You got to stay away from the vine tree. I'll tell you someplace else. You got to stay away from dead people, unsaved, dead in trespasses of sin. And the long hair, what is that all about? Back in the Old Testament, every Jew had to cut his hair a certain way. And if he didn't, he became ashamed. So when a guy became a Nazarite, he didn't cut his hair like the rest of the Jews did. He let it grow because he, in, in that picture of his shame was his humility to serve God. And you ought to bear the shame and the reproach of Jesus Christ as a child of God. God had a mission. Not one time ever. Not one time ever did he ever accomplish anything that God intended for him to do. He just keeps going back to the vomit. And he falls into that cycle of sin that was his flesh that he could not break. And his life, just like a lot of God's people's life, is one continual disaster after another. One failed situation after another one miserable heartbreak after another finally he winds up a complete captive to the philistines picture the world and he loses his freedom now to do whatever god wanted him to do and there will come a time in your life when you thumb 
your nose at the word of God so long and you do your own thing that the world will come down and shackle around you and you will lose your freedom to ever do what God wanted you to do. You will be bound to your sin. Now, we'll see here in a moment, God miraculously comes down and does some things. We'll talk about that in a minute, but we don't want to miss where we're going here. And the great lessons of his life are for our lives if we will learn from history and learn from our own mistakes by looking at his mistakes. And as I said, he's not a bad guy. He's not some gang member. He's not peddling dope to high school kids on the street. He's not molesting children. He's just a good old boy who is just weak. Now, he follows the crowd wherever that crowd goes, and he just keeps getting into the mess of it. But the great lessons here will be that uh, he was conceited fool, and he kept returning to his own sin. And we find, looking at his life, three things that were his problem that will come into your life and my life if we don't break that cycle. And the first thing we learn about his sin is the fact that his sin blinded him. He couldn't see it. He couldn't see it because he got wise in his own conceit. He thought he knew more about life than everybody else did. Now, this is where your kids are going to come as they grow up a little bit. They're going to start challenging your authority that they know more about life than you do. Every parent that ever lost their kid to the world, it started out right here by them getting blinded by their own conceit that somebody told them that they knew more about life uh, than you do. And Samson falls into that. His mom couldn't tell him. His dad couldn't tell him. His friends couldn't tell him. And more importantly, God couldn't tell him. He wouldn't listen to anybody. He was unteachable. And his sin, his vomit, blinded him to the truth about life and his becoming wise in his own conceit. And in time, it destroyed him just like it will you and me. Then the second thing, not only does his sin blind him, but then in time, his sin binded him. And I think this is very interesting. And you all ought to learn a lesson from this. Here's Samson, who would never listen to anybody, who made every wrong choice in life that was to make and wouldn't take any rebuke from anybody. And not only did he get blinded to it, he got bound to it. And yet the thing that binded him was the very thing that he loved. Delilah. He wouldn't love God. He wouldn't do what God wanted to do. But oh boy, the first words out of his mouth is, I have seen a woman. I always thought it was interesting. The first thing he saw, words out of his mouth, I saw a woman. And the last thing he says, he can't see anything. The world put his eyes out. And the very thing he thought he loved, oh, more important than that, the very thing that he thought loved him, he was blind, was the very thing or the very person who betrayed him and sold him out to being bound by the world system. Now I'll tell you kids something. Tell you young singles something. 
you better listen to the people who understand a little bit more about life than you do. Because it only takes one or two bad choices and you're off the market. Now, we all get to the place. I know I think back in my life when my dad tried to tell me, and my, I thought nobody knew. You know, when I, was, when I was 16 or 17 years old, I thought my mom and dad were the stupidest people on the planet. When I turned 21, 23, uh, 23 I couldn't figure out how they got smart so fast. They were smart all along. I was the idiot. And we go through life thinking we know more about it than those that have experienced it in life and can guide you the right way. But oh, no, 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 no. We're going to do it our way. And the very thing that his mom and dad, in fact, when he says, I saw a woman, you know what his dad says? His dad says, why can't you get a woman from Israel, your own people? Why do you got to go to the world system? And he says, here's his response, get her for me. A he-man with a she-weakness. And it killed him. All of his life, he thought the things that he was putting his life and investing him in was the right thing, and they were going to, he loved it. He keeps going back to it. And when he loses his dad and he loses his mom and they get burnt, he keeps going back to it because he loves it and he looks at it. And he actually fought, got blinded to the point where he thought that she loved him and she didn't. Whatever you think you love the world, and whatever you think in the world is more important to you this morning than God is and what God has for you, I want to tell you something. It may be 20, 30, 40 years from now, but it'll happen. The very things that you're going to think you love are going to wind up betraying you in the end. Wise in his own conceit. He trusted in himself. He trusted in his beauty. I'm sure he had nose jewels and, and braided hair. We know it was into seven locks. Beautiful flowing hair. And I'm sure he, he took time to have that all braided and just right and looking in the mirror and saying, oh, I'm going out downtown tonight. His beauty, his hair, his great strength. He all trusted in his flesh. So not only is he a great example about being wise in your own conceit and returning over and over and over again to the vomit. He got blinded. He got, his sin blinded him. His sin binded him. And then the third thing, his sin will grind you. It'll blind you, it'll bind you, and it will grind you. Now here he is. Here you will be betrayed by what you invested your life in, betrayed by what you thought you loved and you really thought that it loved you back, betrayed by Deliah through the Philistines, and now the world system takes the child of God, puts out his eyes, he'll never see another woman again, puts out his eyes, strips him naked, Ties him to a grinding wheel that probably weighs a thousand pounds, and now he's lost his strength because he got his hair cut from Deliah, and that was the source of his strength. By the way, those seven locks in the Old Testament are a picture of the seven spirits of God that God dealt with Israel, and it's a picture that when you and I get sold out to the Philistines, you lose the power of God in your life. 
Now there he is, bound, chained, naked. While the Philistines, the world system, laughed at him. Bible says they made sport of him. They laughed at him. They made fun of him. And he was bound now for the rest of his life. Instead of grinding himself out for the mission of God, he's now grinding himself out for the world system. Bound, chained to it, blinded by it. And for all the rest of his life, it looked like that's what he was going to do. And he pushed that big old grind wheel around as he ground the crane and made it into flour for the world to eat. And he's the most miserable person on the planet. Yet he's found in God's Hall of Fame. You see, Samson could have been one of the great heroes of the Bible instead of one of the great vessels of dishonor in the Bible. But I want you to know God still used him and got the honor and glory out of it. You see, he came to himself while he's grinding out for the Philistines, blind, naked. And it shows me that every child of God, no matter how far you get from God, no matter what you do with your life or you don't do when you wind up in a mess like that, I'm going to tell you something. At some point, when you get so far down, you're going to come to yourself. Maybe nobody will ever know it. Maybe you'll never be able to tell anybody about it. Nobody knew it in Samson's life. We wouldn't know it unless the Holy Spirit of God told us the story. He's grinding that thing out, and he's saying, Lord, I sure screwed up. I sure made a mess out of things. And God said, yeah, you did. And he says, what am I going to do? He says, you gave me a mission. I can't do that mission. I, I'm, I'm chained here. I'm blinded. I can't do a thing. I don't, I don't have any strength at all anymore. And God says, well, let me tell you something, Samson. There is something you can do. I'll tell you what we're going to do. I'm going to have these Philistines put you over here between these two pillars, and I'm going to give you your strength back. And you're going to do for me what you should have done and got the honor and glory out of it as a great vessel of honor. But now you're going to go down in history that hundreds of years down the line, some goofy preacher in Independence, Missouri will preach to his people about your vessel of dishonor and how I got the honor and glory out of it. The Bible says that he put him between those two things, laughing and making fun, and he found his strength back, and he pushed on those two pillars. And the Bible says that that whole building came down and he killed more in his death than he ever killed in his life. God got the victory out of it. But at what cost? And I'm going to tell you right now, you'll go back to your vomit, back to your vomit, back to your vomit, back to your vomit, over and over and over again. You'll do your own thing. You'll never learn the lessons from history. You'll never learn the lessons from your mistakes. You'll never let anybody teach you or help you. You're going to make one bad choice after another, and then you're going to suck other people in who are dumber than you are with your bad choices. And someday, when you're bound to the grist wheel of the Philistines and you're so spiritually blinded, you can't see anything. And you're naked because you're headed to the judgment seat of Christ. And you're bound now, grinding out for the world, for their mission instead of the mission God had for you. God will deal with you. Some of you may have turned this message off this morning. Some of you young, young kids may have blew it off. Let me tell you something. God gets you pinned under a car at 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning. You'll hear the rest of the message. Amen. 
You'll go out there goofing around and doing something stupid and jump off a high dive someplace and hit the water wrong and become a paraplegic the rest of your life. It'll come across loud and clear. Boy, that whole thing just came down. God got the honor and glory out of it. Yes, he did. It's one of the great stories in the Bible. But it cost him his life to do it. You see, you're much better off to give up your life for Christ than you are to give it up without Christ. You're much better off to grind out for him the ministry that he's called you to than to forsake that, make your bad choices, do your own thing, and then grind it out for the world. Because at the end of the day, and Samson is such a great lesson, the world system, his own conceit, his returning to his vomit like a dog, over and over and over, not one time will he listen to anybody. And you would think after the mistakes and the graphic disasters in his life, that he'd get a clue, the light would come on, he'd say, hey, there's something wrong with me here. I can't quit blaming on my problems on somebody else or my, my deficiency. It's me. Oh, no, no. Right up to the point where the world took him. And I, his sin blinded him, his sin binded him, and his sin grinded him. And it was all by his choosing. Nobody forced anything on him. He just all thinks he's smarter than somebody else. You know, you know how he lost his Nazarite position? He knows he's not to have anything to do with a vine tree. So he's bebopping from his house over to see his little lovely lady. Big night plan, you know how it goes. And he's bebopping over there, you know, and uh, he's, he's smarter, and, you know, he knows what God told him. But he thinks he's smarter than God. So he can't wait to get to his sweetie's house. So he knows there's a shortcut, and the shortcut goes right through a vineyard. And instead of staying on the path to get there, he took a shortcut of life through the vineyard, and guess who he met in the vineyard? a lion. And the Bible says, be sober for your village, your adversary, the devil, coming about as a roaring lion. And when he met that lion, yeah, he's strong, he killed that lion, but when he killed that lion, he touched a dead body and he lost the Nazarite concept. I'm going to tell you, you take the shortcuts of life, listen to me, listen to me, you take the shortcuts of life to places that you shouldn't go, the devil will meet you there. End of story. <laughs> Got through the message, though, didn't we, huh? All right, let's have a word of prayer. We'll be lined up at the bathroom to throw up.